And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Good morning to all of you. I'm so glad to have you with us. And you know, there's a lot of prayer and preparation that goes into this. So I I know that you're praying now and we're all praying together and believing God. Some people come on immediately. Some people come on a little later. So from time to time, I repeat things because I know there are people coming who just joined us. So I'm going to tell you this. I have this, what I call a magazine book. And it's, I think, about 60-something pages. And uh, I'm going to make it available to you. All you have to do is let me know you'd like to have it. Now, I need a physical address because I'm sending it in the mail. So... I don't think you could download it in this beautiful fashion, but I want you to have it. We're going to talk about what's in it in just a moment, but uh, I want to send you a copy of it. I'm glad that God has allowed us to prepare these resources. I want you to use them. And uh, let me see if I can get a little better picture of this for you. It's on the local church, the pillar and ground of the truth. And uh, there's information in it. I'm trying to see here. Information in it about the local church. And then what is a biblical church? I think you have to take the time not just to teach this to your people, but to repeat it. The fact is that After a while, your people ought to be able to repeat it to you. I hope you'll do that. And then we'll talk about that today. And then uh, there's some interesting things here that uh, that are unique to this little book. Uh, How do you measure a church? Most people measure a church by attendance or buildings or property. But the Bible teaches us there's only one measure for a church, and that's in its likeness to Jesus Christ. You may have a church of 30 or 3,000, and the church of 30 may be more like the Lord than the church of 3,000 or vice versa. But part of the thing we deal with here is the measure of a church, and we use all biblical illustrations to do that. And it's beautifully done. You may make copies of things and give to your people, but whatever. Then the vision of a church. What What is the vision of a church? Where there's no vision, the people perish. And uh, we talk about what the vision accomplishes in a church. You know, when God gives us a vision, it makes us accountable. And when he gives us vision, it creates a demand for action. So when God gives us vision... It requires faith to fulfill that vision. So we're continuing because we have that vision that God gives us. Then I put some interesting thing here about what Charles Spurgeon had to say in the downgrade controversy about how he dealt with progressive theology. I want you to have it. Then there's a list, a rather long list of things about how a church can advance in God's work. And you may want to take just one of these things on a Sunday and just mention it, give the scripture, mention it, whatever. But here's the missing element. Where is the pioneering work of the church? 
one of the emphasis we're making is evangelizing the small towns in America. But there's a lot of things working against the pioneering work that a church ought to be doing. Where is that pioneering ministry and the pioneering work, the spirit of a pioneer? And then I gave you something on the man of vision and the man of ambition, two different people, two different ways of doing God's work. And then leadership, what kind of leadership do you have in a local church? And we talked about Christ is the head. We're guided by the Holy Spirit. The pastor is God's appointed leader. And then I gave examples from God's word of different type of leaders in the Bible. The apostle Paul and uh, Philip followed the Lord's leading. Epaphras, Barnabas, Luke. I, I think it's going to be a great help to you. Then I've included here this chart that you can put up about Baptists and have included on this chart famous Baptists who have influenced us. And then I want you to have the distinctives of a Baptist church. And these need to be repeated. I've given you the true trial recording of John Bunyan and what his answers were to the judge for preaching the gospel without a license. And I've concluded with this statement. Throughout history, people who have identified with Baptist distinctives have stood as guardians of religious liberty. At the heart of this liberty is what we referred to as individual soul liberty. And I'm grateful to God to be a Baptist. I gave you this powerful statement that was given by Charles Spurgeon about Baptist. And you can read it, pass it on to other people. But I want to send you absolutely free this magazine book on the local church so you can teach your people things about the local church. I have some questions coming from some of you today, and I'll try to answer them. But uh, let me just read something about the local church to begin I read, the local church, God has gifted the local assembly with what is necessary to instruct and encourage Christ's likeness in all believers. The Lord has given all of his children a place of service every day and in every place in which we live. Each believer is to be wholeheartedly engaged in the ministry of the Lord. All believers are to be speaking the truth in love. Our ministry is not to be limited to a day of the week or a certain location any more than our worship is to be limited to the days we attend church or our witnessing limited to a time of organized visitation. To restrict the ministry of the Lord in such a way is to restrict the Christian life. Now, our involvement in serving the Lord ought to come from our gratitude for all the Lord's done for us and continues to do for us. Our ministry to the Lord comes from the heart. This is very important. It's not created or sustained by external pressures. It is a willing service that brings a deep joy and great satisfaction. As the church functions together as a body of believers, the body is strengthened and grows in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we recognize and organize our ministry opportunities to train people for more effective service, we do it to extend the Lord's work. Specific ministries allow us to care for people and to give attention to areas of the Lord's work that we tend to be neglecting. And uh, this needs to be done. This provides a measure of personal accountability. And although there's but one goal in ministry, that's the glory of the Lord, there are many places of service. So I want you to get that. I want you to see it, understand it. And we're going to talk about it. Now, let me give you a verse. And I want you to look it up in your Bible. Would you please? 
Paul wrote the most personal thing he penned to us in the book of 2 Corinthians. And I don't know how far I'll go with this in the future, but I want you to hear. Paul is talking about his own experience in his own life. And uh, in 2 Corinthians, the Bible tells us in, verse, in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, he talks about his persecutions. He says in verse 21, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whensoever any is bold, I am speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the sea, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily. And this is what I want to give you. The care of all the churches. Now you and I would talk about Paul's suffering and we would talk about the things that he listed here and the perilous things he was dealing with. But he says, with an emphasis at the end of this, the care of all the churches. That's what we're needing to emphasize. God has given you the care of a church. Just like you'd care for your wife or care for your family, care for your children, you care for someone who's in need as far as illness is concerned, God has given to you the care of a church. See it as the body of Christ. Deal with it. In, in, every, in every way the Lord would be pleased with the care of that church. I want you to think just a moment. It's not the building, though buildings need care. It's not the maintenance of material things in the building that need, though they're, they're needed. But what is that church? That local church is a body of baptized believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. And uh, I, I don't have voice and words enough to put the emphasis on this I want to put on this. God expects you to be a loving pastor, caring for the church. And Paul said, after he talks about shipwreck and beating and persecution and false witnesses and all the things that we major on when we're preaching about the Paul life of Paul, he says, and the care and the care of the churches. See your church as a body that needs that kind of care. They need to be loved, appreciated. Years ago, I started doing something. I thought, these people come and hear me preach, and they listen. We have a word of prayer to finish everything. 
and they're dismissed. And then I thought, I need to thank the people. I need to actually thank the people that they are sitting here listening whether they express appreciation to me or not. They're giving me their time. And uh, that's, a, that's a precious thing. And so I never conclude the church service without saying to them, thank you for being here this, this day. And thank you for listening. And we pray. And I, I can't tell you the times visitors have come to me and they say, this is the first time I've ever attended a church service where the pastor thanked the people for coming and listening. Now, I, I, I don't think I was ever ungrateful, but I just wasn't expressing my gratitude. The more we see the church as the body of Christ and have this care for the church that we ought to have. I was making some phone calls uh, just before I got on this summit with you today uh, with people who are sick. I got a dear man whose cancer has returned. And uh, I'll be in his home, but I was able to pray with him on the phone and pray with his wife, letting him know that we know he's ill, that God can take care of him. We're praying for God to touch him. But they need to know the shepherd cares. And then we had a family who just had their second child, precious, wonderful people. And we can pray with them and pray for them, and we did, asking God to use them, to bless them, and I think sometimes we need to write letters and send notes to people almost like we would to a family member uh, thanking them for what they, what they do to encourage us, to pray for us. Thank you for praying. Thank you for attending. Thank you for being a loyal member. And uh, I, all this, I think, will go a long, long way. So let's talk about the biblical church. And you're going to get this, so I hope that you can share this with your people. But let's talk about it. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I will build my church. I will build my church. And if you could create a church, if you if we were doing the creating of the church yourself, if you could create a church, what would it be like? What would it be like? Uh, it's my conviction that the biblical church is God's solution to the need of this world. Now, God could have called me to do many things, but he called me to be a pastor. And I rejoice in that. And I believe that he has placed in the church the answer that people need. The Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. What we believe about the church comes and must come from the Word of God. If we study God's Word and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will discover the design of the biblical church. Now, you must not just be convinced of this in your soul. You need to teach this to your people. In Matthew 16, the Lord said, I'll build my church. And... Uh, that church, he mentioned that word is the called out, called out assembly. It is his called out assembly. They belong to the Lord. It's his church. Now, he didn't say, you will build my church. That's where so many men are get confused. They think they've got to come up with a fancy pants idea for something to do it. But Jesus Christ never said, you will build my church. He never said, I will build your church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The single thing that we're responsible for is obedience to the Lord. I must believe if I'm obedient to the Lord, 
that God will bless that. And I repeat that to you over and over because I, 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 I really think that's true. You put too much pressure on yourself sometimes trying to be the person the people expect you to be. Forget it. Be the person Jesus Christ wants you to be. Just follow him. You don't be, be, have to be curt or mean or hateful about it, but just please him. And so God told us this in his word. Now, if we obey him, God will give the increase. I want to read something to you from this book magazine. It's a magazine and a book, but I want to read this to you because this is where so many people are mixed up. I gave you a chart here, and the chart is between being a biblical leader and being what we call a pragmatist or someone who wants to please the people and uh, the biblical leader has certain circumstances and it's his situation and uh, I can't get everything exactly right but I'd like to get this right I'm going to send you this chart and I don't want you just to hoard it to yourself I want you to share it with your people if it's true share it with your people and I'm going to read it to you the man of vision versus the man of ambition. Someone said to me one time, you cannot, you cannot help an ambitious man because all he wants to do is get ahead. I, I heard recently about a seminary president. This happens to be a large, large seminary. But the president was dismissed from his position. I asked a few questions about it. It was a denominational cemetery, seminary. And the fact of the matter is, um, I said, why? And someone said to me, their opinion, this is just their opinion. Someone said to me, because the man was the most egotistical man I ever met. The most ambitious man I ever met. Now, what do you want people to say about you as a pastor? You may think that it would be a nice thing if they said he's very ambitious. But I'm going to tell you the difference. The biblical leader versus the pragmatist. The biblical leader is the man who begins with God. All I ever wanted to know, what's God want me to do? What does the Lord have for us? What is God's direction in this? I see myself accountable to the Lord. But the pragmatist or man of ambition begins with man. What do the people want? What are they asking for? No, no, don't do that. And then the man who's a biblical leader doesn't work by faith. That many times people don't understand you. Someone said to some of our people one day, our pastor doesn't think like we think. And I thought, well, what does he mean by that? Well, I want to be accountable. I want to be, make myself accountable to all the people. But if I believe God wants us to do something, I must move forward by faith and do it. Now, the pragmatist or the ambitious man doesn't work by sight. It's, it's got to be something he can see. The biblical leader believes... If it is right, truly right, God will bless it. Sometimes people don't give that qualification to things. And the pragmatist or the ambitious man will say, well, if it works, I'll do it. Now, that's where some of you are caught. So I'm going to do just, just the thing. I know this is going to work. Well, you know, sometimes people will think, well, is it really going to work? Well, if it's the right thing, God will bless it. The biblical leader who's a man of vision is a man who lives in obedience to God. And the other man, the ambitious man, who is a pragmatist, is always seeking to be in competition with others. How many people does your church have? How many people do we have in Sunday school? How many people rode your buses? 
It's always competition. Well, can you not lay your head down at night and rest? Did you ever do enough? You see, the, the, the thing that's going on today could never find Jesus saying, it is finished. You know, the Lord Jesus said, it is finished. He came and did the work God the Father gave him to do. It is finished. Do you ever rest? Do you ever think I did what the Lord wanted me to do? The biblical leader. The biblical leader desires God, God to be glorified. His hunger and his thirst is for God to receive glory. Dying to self, God to receive glory. The other man who's ambitious can't live without the approval of people. It'll do you a world of good to stop running after you preach to find out what people say about what you've said. Many of the great preachers who've been mightily used of God did not let people speak to them after they preached the sermon. I remember Dr. R.G. Lee saying one time, that's been years ago because he's been with the Lord a long time, uh, when somebody came to him and said, I didn't like what you said today, Dr. Lee said, the devil didn't either. You know? So whose side are you on? So I don't say you have to be a smart one, but stop giving so much attention to what people think or say about your preaching. If you please the Lord, that's all you can do. Did you do that? And then the biblical man is Christ-centered. Christ-centered. The man of ambition and pragmatist is man-centered. One serves God, the other serves self. And the man of vision, who's a biblical leader, lives a life of simplicity and godly sincerity. And the man who's ambitious always lives a life of great complexity. There's nothing simple. There's nothing single about what he does. So I have this for you to read, to meditate, and I hope that you'll make it a part of your life. But we're talking about the local church and the Lord Jesus founding it. So let's get that settled. If you're writing things down, uh, God has a design, and we're just following the Lord's word in God's design. God's design for the local church. The biblical church started with Christ's disciples when it was empowered at Pentecost. Now, when I was a seminary student, I had to write a paper on when the church started. I thought, what? And I found out how complicated it was. I found, at least I think in my memory, I think about 12 different things people said about when the church started. I, I believe God's always had a people. He's always had a people. And, but the New Testament church is different from the nation of Israel. God had a people he worked through. I, I believe I would qualify as somewhat of a dispensationalist because I see a difference between Israel and the church. And I, I think that's what we've been teaching all these years and that's what I was taught and I believe that. But the New Testament church started with Christ's disciples. Now the Lord had people before that but it started with Christ's disciples. God's been at work in the world since creation. But we're talking about the church. Where do you trace the beginning of the church? I believe it started, was conceived and started with Christ's disciples. I can prove that I believe from the Bible. And it was empowered at Pentecost. Then another thing you need to know about the local church is the local church to be a biblical church, has born-again members. Sometimes instead of just receiving people in your church, take the time for a few minutes and just explain to people why we believe to join the church you ought to be born again. The Holy Spirit living in your heart. 
and you're going to begin talking to people about salvation, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, I feel like sometime very soon I'm going to take on the, the responsibility of reprinting a book on the Holy Spirit that was written by someone else over 50 years ago on the work of the Holy Spirit because people don't know much about the Holy Spirit's work. But when you come to know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He comes in you. He lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And truthfully, we know that every person who aligns himself with a local church and follows the Lord in baptism and joins the church is not truly born again, but we expect that they're born again in that church. And so we can speak to them about spiritual things and they listen to the Word of God and God speaks to their heart. So in the biblical church, the members are born-again people. And then in the biblical church, we are having the responsibility to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Let me read something to you. When Paul wrote the pastoral epistles to Timothy, he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou wast to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Think about that. The pillar and ground of the truth. People ought to be able to expect to hear the truth when the preacher speaks. They ought to hear the truth because you're teaching and preaching the Word of God. Someone commented recently about preaching the Bible here. We know we're going to hear the Bible here. Well, what else should they hear? They should have the expectation when they come to church that we honor God and we honor God's Word and we hear the Word of God and we have no other message, God's Word. And somebody said, well, I've got a little book and uh, I've got a little book on how to master the English Bible. It was written by James, M James Gray who was pastor or uh, president of Moody Bible Institute for many, many years. You ought to have a copy of it. When I was a young man, Somebody reached up on their shelf in their study and handed me a copy. As a matter of fact, I think I have the copy right there, the second book down. I was showing some other day. Someone handed me. This is the copy, How to Master the English Bible, that James M. Gray handed me. This book revolutionized my life. It changed my life. You know why? It says How to Master the English Bible, Learning the Bible by Books. We've reprinted it. I think I have copies here in the reprint on uh, Leakin's picture on the front of it. But anyway, we reprinted as a Crown publication this book, same book. and uh, But it changed my life. Why? Because in reality, you don't master the Bible. The Bible masters you. And you, you put yourself under the Word of God. And if God, I'm the servant of God's Word, it's over me. It's over everything in my life. I'm over, the, I'm, I'm, I'm over certain things and responsibility, but God's Word is over me. And so if you're going to be the preacher the church deserves to have, the pastor of a biblical church, and and the church is charged by God himself to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Where are you going to get the truth? The world has no fixed point of reference, but we do. How important is that? It's vital. It's essential. And so and the New Testament church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And then the biblical church belongs to the Lord. I know what it's like to pastor a church for a long time. I've been in the ministry going on 56 years. Hope to finish many more. Somebody said that's a long time. Not long enough because I'm investing in eternity. I've been pastor of this church, this church, for 34 years. And, uh, and that's not long enough. There's some things I want to do. I've been pastor all the work I've been doing is 55 years plus. But what am I doing? 
What am I doing? I'm just a steward. The church is the Lord's. It's not mine. I'm here for this time. I have the steering of the church. I have things to decide. I tell people sometimes uh, the biggest thing, the most important thing I do is make decisions and make the right decisions. And But really, truly, the most important thing I do is give my life to the Lord after all these years. I can't do this. I can't be a blessing by myself. I can't do it. So this, this is about being a biblical church. I've given all this to you in writing in this book. And I want you to have it. Write me for it and ask me for it. Write me today and I'll send it out to, to you as soon as I get your request. But I've got to have a mailing address. I've got to have a place where I can send it, put it in the postage and get it to you. Then I want you to use it. Then I want to talk a bit about the responsibility of a biblical church. What are the responsibilities? If the church is a person, if the church is a body, if the church is an organism, and it is, it's the body of Christ, what responsibility does she have? As his bride, what is it? To be guided by the Holy Spirit. Now that's an easy thing to say, but it's a very difficult thing to do, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Most people in the churches we pastor talk very little about the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. I don't know why we've got some people scared us away from conversations about the Holy Spirit, but we believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-existent, eternally existent. And so God the Father is no more God than God the Son, God the Son no more God than God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I think to try to understand the Trinity will drive you nuts. But we believe it because God teaches it in His Word. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives in us. The Holy Spirit can guide us. The Holy Spirit can guide our lives. And here it is. The Holy Spirit can guide our churches. But people have to be taught that. You have to teach your church. You can, you can lead a church many ways. Sometimes pastors say, well, I just I want to grab them by the hair of the head and jerk the ignorant things around. They, they don't know as much about as I do, and I'll just tell them what to do. Well, that's a very poor way to lead a church. I'd hate to think someone tried to lead one of my children that way. I'd hate to think somebody tried to lead my family that way. Is it possible that you can pray and know the mind of God? Is it possible you can take the time to pray? You see, we, we make the same mistake in our preaching that we make in our pastoring, and that is we don't give enough time to it. Preaching, the secret to preaching, and I can talk about this someday, not today, but the secret to preaching is meditation. Getting God's Word in your heart and mind and heart. Letting, letting your life be saturated by the Word of God. God can actually speak to you. He can point you to other scriptures. He can bring things to your mind. Now, I personally think He's not going to bring much to your mind you haven't studied already. So you make yourself a student of God's Word always, and the Lord can bring those things to mind. The Holy Spirit will bring those things to mind. So... The responsibility of the church is to be guided by the Lord and the Holy Spirit does that guiding. But we have to teach the members how to pray, how to wait on God, and how to know God's guiding. God's not going to guide us against, against His Word. He's not going to guide us in any way that doesn't glorify the Lord Jesus. And so we're trusting Him as He guides us this business of the local church 
and caring for the local church is the, is the missing ingredient to what's needed in our whole world. It's redundant for me to say it, but I'm going to say it. Jesus knew what he was doing when he established the church. He gifted the church, and the church gifts the world with things. We are to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Then the church must be faithful in tithes and offerings. This is God's design, God's way. I wrote an entire book on the stewardship of life. Some people, many people say it's the best book I've ever written. You, you ought to teach your people this. It's designed for a 13-week study in our Bible teaching Sunday school. And there's study guides and teacher's guides for this particular book on the stewardship of life. But people need to be taught that we belong to God. All we have belongs to God. We pay the tithe because it belongs to God. And we give offerings in the work of the Lord because of the way the Lord has blessed us. And God provides for us to be able to give. And by faith, we give in those offerings. The offering is not the tithe. The tithe already belongs to the Lord. The offering is over and above the tithe. But we must teach the people that we have a responsibility in tithes and offerings. And then this is what breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I'm such a failure in it. The church is responsible to evangelize the world. Now, every Christian ought to be a witness. Every Christian. And we must advance with the gospel. Believe me. Just, just listen to me just a moment as I I'm pour my heart out to you. The truth of the matter is I deal with all kinds of people who believe all kinds of things. But I have to come to a conclusion about what God has taught me about His Word and about evangelism. I just... I just recently decided I wouldn't speak at a certain conference. And I never do that, almost never do that. And I love the people who are putting it on. I love all about it. But there's some strong, strong proponents speaking who have hindered personal evangelism. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm, I'm a person, for the record, I believe that Jesus Christ traced, tasted death for every man. And we must make a legitimate offer of the gospel to every man. And God help us to do that. And so, now, I, I, you may not think this, but I, I try to be a kind person. I don't like, I don't like uh, all of this, uh, all this um, curt stuff in the ministry. I don't, I don't like that. If you've been around me, I think you'll be, you'll be, you agree with me. But, I do have influence and I have a testimony. What little influence I have and what testimony I have, I want it to always be I'm for getting the gospel out, for talking to people, confronting people with the Word of God. I, I might as well say this. The first time I ever heard the gospel, the first time I ever heard it, that someone took the Bible and explained to me the way of salvation I ask God to forgive my sin and by faith I trust in the Lord Jesus, my Savior. Now let me say this before somebody gets critical. You have no idea how God was working in my heart before that person explained to me the way of salvation. You have no idea what I'd gone through and the way the Holy Spirit had worked. And we have no idea what God's worked in the hearts of people when we give the witness of the Holy Spirit to them. Now, they may have just walked out of a doctor's office. My mother walked out of a doctor's office and the doctor said, you're dying, Ruby, with cancer. You're dying. You've got months to live. And for the first time in her life, since I was a boy coming to know Christ as my Savior, a 14-year-old knowing Christ as my Savior, she was open to the gospel. Now, if I had just met her and explain the gospel to her, maybe, maybe something hadn't happened to her. But she was open. We don't know all those things. I do know this. I do know that the Holy Spirit is in the world reproving, 
of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what Jesus said. Uh, four years after my father died, four years after my father died, my father was a professional gambler. My mother said to me before my daddy died, your daddy's got religion. But he couldn't explain to me how he'd been saved. He took me on a drive and I was alone with him. And he said to me, son, I've lived my whole life for the devil. I've given it all to the devil. And now the doctor said I have less, less than a year to live. And he was trying to explain to me that God had done something for him. But when I was 18 years old, preaching, early preaching the gospel for a friend of mine in his church at the Second Baptist Church in Maryville, Tennessee. When I finished preaching, we walked outside on the sidewalk and he pointed up the hill to a house. And he said, Clarence, did you ever know an old man? My dad died when he was 57, but he looked like he's 85. Did you ever know an old man that lived up there? I said, yes. That apartment is where... My dad lived for a while after he and my mother separated and divorced. Well, he said, you'd be happy to know. I went up there and knocked on the door one day, and this man let me in and was delighted that I was there to tell him how to be saved. Now, he had, Charles, Charles Staley had never heard anything about my dad. He had never known what my dad had gone through. He didn't know that my dad had been to the doctor, and the doctor told him he was going to die. But the Holy Spirit knew all of that and a faithful witness witnessed to him. Now, I don't want to do anything to hinder anybody from being zealous about soul winning and witnessing. And you say, oh, sometimes people get careless and foolish. No doubt. No doubt. <coughs> but the salvation of a soul is the work of God. Only God can do that to quicken people from the dead. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I don't want anybody thinking that I am for any of this business that chills or cools off people from witnessing and telling people about the Lord Jesus. Why? <coughs> because the church, the local church, is commissioned by God to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? Amen? That's what we're responsible for. And then to love and pray for one another and bear one another's burdens. I couldn't have made it in my life without the church and people in the church. I know there's some devils everywhere. Sure. Hey, be a preacher for 55 years and, and, then, and then, then tell me there's not some mean people. Oh, yes, I know that. But there's some wonderful people, the greatest people in all of the earth are God's people who've been born again. And we are to love them, encourage them, pray with them, and we're to love one another. And may the Lord help us to seek God for a pastor, the responsibility of a church. So a church says, we need a man to lead us. How do you find a pastor? I'm going to spend an entire day or more on that sometime, how to find God's man for your church because pastors are needed everywhere. Shepherds. You can be a leader without being a shepherd, but you cannot be a shepherd without being a leader. And we need shepherds to lead our churches. God help us. And what the church does for the world, what does the church do? What the world receives from the church, it can't receive from anyone else. You look at your city, look at your community, look at your town, and you say, this is what our church does that no one else could do. There are wonderful organizations that help children, orphans. There's all kinds of great things going on in towns. But what about the church? What does the world receive from the church it can't get anywhere else? Number one, it receives clarity. 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 And we have so much confusion today. I want you to read what I've written about clarity. Number two, 
what the world receives from the church is urgency. Urgency. That's one of the things that burdens my heart. I know so many men in the ministry who seem like they have no urgency. I mean, honestly, people are dying without God. There's a real hell and a real heaven, and Jesus is the only way to heaven. There ought to be some urgency. We're all dying. You may not be dying today, but you're certainly going to be dying. And there's an urgency. And there should be a pathos and a hurt and a passion in the heart of someone when they're talking about the things of God. And then the world receives the way of eternal life. There's nothing more important than that, the way of eternal life. And the only way of eternal life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people who have that message and give that message are in that local assembly when it's functioning as the body of Christ where it ought to function. I'm going to try to answer some questions that have been given to the Shepherd Summit today. Question number one, what does a basic strong relationship between a missionary and the ascending church look like? Well, it's an extension of your church. Imagine if you had a son or daughter on the mission field. They weren't locally meeting where you're meeting. Would you want people to love them? Would you want people to pray for them? Why don't you make a list sometime of the things you'd want people to do for you and all the technology we have today to communicate with people. We can remember people's special days, anniversaries, birthdays, praying for them. There are times when intense prayer is needed, just like you might have times of intense prayer. I remember talking to Mrs. Paisley one time when I was preaching for Dr. Paisley in Northern Ireland. I was preaching a revival meeting in a Martyrs Moral Church there. And uh, she said, we have times here where we need intense prayer. And we have a way to tell people, not just pray. We say pray for us all the time. Pray for us all the time. But this is a time for intense prayer. It's a matter of life or death. Intense prayer. And we call on God in intense prayer. Those types of times you have for missionaries and missionaries' lives. So much to say. Question number two, what are the qualifications for a bishop? I just preached through the book of First Timothy. I think it's all online, and you can get, get there. And I gave specific messages on the qualifications for a, a bishop, qualifications for deacon, and uh, I hope that you'll get that. So may God help us. Then question number three, why does it appear that God is silent about the evil things going on in America? He's not silent. What, what, about, what about your Bible? What about your Bible? You have Old and New Testament. You have Old Testament books and New Testament books. Many people say the silent year, 400 years of silence, there wasn't silence between the Testaments. There was no written word given, but God was doing anything but being silent. He was moving through great kingdoms of the world, establishing ways of travel and postage and all kinds of things, language. Sometimes study what went on between the Testaments and it'll help you know that God is always at work. He's always at work. You may not see Him or hear Him, but he's always at work. Question number four, regarding the Lord's Supper. And this is a critical question. Does your church practice open, closed, or close communion? Close, close. So they mean by open, anybody could take it. They mean by closed, only members of your church, I assume, can take it. They mean by close, that's man's terms, Open, closed, close. I, I don't agree with, disagree with any, I don't disagree with anybody. If their local church decides that's the way they're going to do it. In our church, you have to be saved. You have to be baptized. 
and you have to live a sincere Christian life. Now, we have people who are not members of our church who've been saved and baptized and worship here who come to the Lord's table with us. And we have the Lord's table sometimes have it every week. We have it every month. We try to have it every month. And we do some things that are unique to the Lord's table, but we encourage all people who've been saved, baptized, and are serious about their Christian life. But our church made that decision. And your local assembly, your church, ought to make that decision. You may be a part of a church that has what they call closed communion. That's their business. You may be a church, a part of a church that has open communion. I, I, I feel a little different about that because I think everybody ought to give a real testimony that they're saved and have identified with Christ in believers' baptism. But nevertheless, if a church decides to do that, that's their business. If a church has close, close, what they're saying, that's just a man's way of saying we, we, we don't insist on everybody being saved and baptized and a member of our church. So the local church, the local church, that's the thing I have concern for, the local church. Nurturing, loving, caring for the local church. I want to send you this magazine book. I talked to you just about one thing in it today. Now, don't be foolish. If I'm willing to give the expense of printing it, go through the expense of mailing it, then don't you be a lazy bum. If you want it, send me your name, send me your address, physical address, ask for it, and I'll send it. It costs a lot of money to do it, but I'm going to send it to you absolutely free. I want you to have it. So let us pray that God uses us. What we need, what we really need in this country is for churches to be the churches that God wants them to be. I, I want to be the church God wants me to be in our church, the Temple Baptist Church, the Temple Baptist Church, one church, thousands of churches, there's thousands of churches. And, uh, but I love the church. You know why? Because Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And I want to truly love what Jesus loves. Do you? May God bless you and guide you to be the shepherd of that flock. I wish I could say more to you, but my time's up today. Let's pray. I see uh, my buddy and great preacher, great preacher up in Canada, uh, Kendall Wadley. And uh, Kendall, you hear me. And we're going to put you off where you can speak. I want you to give a little greeting and lead us in our closing prayer because you're in the midst of it. I've got your pictures you're sending me about those empty buildings. And I'm praying, I'm praying. But God's people all over Canada and different places around the world have got to get the burden too. I'm burdened. I want to see these churches meeting, preaching, functioning. And, uh, but we've got to teach our church. Get the book. Put it to practice. Give us a word of testimony. We can all hear you now. now go ahead and speak. Yeah. We really appreciate being at the Baptist Friends meeting a couple of weeks ago, and there was a great emphasis on Canada and reaching North America with a gospel. And I uh, just met, met with a few believers yesterday for another church. The seventh church has asked me to help them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just praying. I'm just praying for seven servants, for seven churches in Ontario, and 100 laborers for Canada. So if you continue to pray about that, as the Lord would meet that need. Well, I believe God hears and answers prayer. Somebody has to train them. We're trying to train them. And uh, we're not only training them at Crown College. We're training them in, in the extension campuses in England, in Montana, in Texas. And uh, we're trying to train them. We have 120 schools of the Bible where we're trying to train them. It's the only Bible education some folks will get. And they're all across America and different places around the world. So you pray for us and pray for the Crown College and uh, pray that people will 
put the emphasis God puts on the local church. And get this book. Use it. Pray for us, son. We love you. We're praying for you and your family. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We're thankful that the church and your Word should not change. We're thankful that we don't have to be pragmatists. We can be biblical leaders. And Lord, we pray that we would be submitted underneath your Word. And we pray you would give us a zeal to go out and plant other churches and evangelize in our respective communities in America and the rest of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank all of you for joining us today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.